It's gonna be quieter. And then. <laughs> so. Then... Serenity now! That's just for Jacob. Serenity now! Serenity now! I wanna shake your hand! <laughs> Serenity now! The role of Roman Statler this evening will be played by Django Borman. <laughs> Django, you're sleeping, baby. J Django, Shh, baby. I'm Roman. Acceptable podcast, episode 167 from the Comics Place, Bellingham, Washington. Just two boys trying to have a fucking sip. A sip. Just, just. You want a sip? Yeah, hey. Let's sip. Cheers. We've been sipping all day. Yeah. We started sipping coffee right as soon as we saw each other today. Loud sips. I was sipping bulletproof coffee before I even saw you, bro. I wasn't sipping that. I was I was just getting ready for a sip. Where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comics from UPS and bring them to our comic shop that we know and love and run and own and bathe in and smell like. And uh, can we make a deal, please? If I call you bro again, will you stop me? Yeah. Okay. Can you put like some sort of donkey sound over it or something? I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely censor it in this. Delete it and then talk to you about it afterwards. Jeff Django, we've got to talk about right, thanks, the, the things that you're doing. Um, and then we bring all those books upstairs to record a podcast talking about those comics that we know and love, the 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 things that get us excited, the reason that we still hang out here all the time together. The words and images. Yeah, if you will. The words and the images and the packages as a whole thing. I'm Jeff, and I am pretty excited to have a chance to just record a podcast with Django today. Not spoiling who's on it though. I'm Django, oh. and I'm on the podcast tonight. And we've got a couple new things going on tonight. One of them is that we're recording and listening in headphones at the same time. I kind of like it. Yeah, I do too. Also, we could do this, though. Check this out. Are I they think... gonna... Oh, never mind. Didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Were you going to mute me? I was again? just going to make it so we didn't hear ourselves as we did it, but that's no fun. Oh, I don't mind that at all. Yeah. I like it. Me yeah, too. I thought you were going to mute me, and it was going to be this whole podcast was going to be like Garfield without Garfield. It's a good comic, and I do think that Jeff without Django would be a lot like Garfield without Garfield. <laughs> Jim Davis, it's your heart out. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, we're going to be spoiling some comics this week as we talk about them, and I hope that that intro makes more sense after I do something to it, but maybe it won't. No, I think you should play it backwards and make people figure it out. Puzzle oh, it. Puzzle it. Black Logic. Uh, what are we spoiling this week, Django, and who's sponsoring these oh, books? Oh, this week's sponsors are two f I don't like this new soundboard game. <laughs> this week's sponsors are twofold. Korg and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsoring our spoilers. Yeah. We're going to talk about Tartarus number 1, Superman Heroes number 1, Hawkeye 
Number three. Number three. 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 You're as bad at that as Romy. No, I, I had to. I did unfortunately edit him calling it three out of the last <laughs> podcast several times. That would be a good uh, punch button. I'm gonna need to be recording him more to get his <clears throat> audio bites. But if um, we could both be doing that, tape recording people more often, we'll turn them into the soundboard files. Dude, I'll get a zoom and I'll follow that guy around all day. I, I don't feel like people even still make zooms. I think there was a dead technology. Roman. I need you to make a bird noise. Nope, that's a bird face. Nope, get my still zoom. a bird face. Let me get my zoom and record it. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about X-Men number six. Gwen Stacy number one. Batman Pennyworth Rip number one. Oh. And Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey number one. We saw that movie. We'll probably talk about that movie too. Oh, I'd talk about that movie with you. I talk about that movie with you all day. Oh man, I'd get I'd talk about anything with you. I'd get real personal right now. Mm-hmm. You want to get vulnerable up here? Dude, you guys, I haven't seen Django get put through the ringer on a day <laughs> like he did today in quite a while. It was pretty good. A lot of ex- unexpected things happened today. You had meetings. I needed to pick you up post a meeting to go have a meeting. Yep. And then came back to the shop and had a meeting. And then when I came back, like things were falling apart and you had not left and you were clearly an exhausted Django. And then you had more meetings and then you just went upstairs to hang out to get away from everything. Walked into a meeting. And I had to pull you down here back again to anyway. What a what a day, Django. Uh, I wasn't even supposed to be here today, man. You weren't. It's your day off, bud. Yeah. I'm getting too old for this shit. I'm about to retire. I'm just trying to have a fucking sip. Just two buddies having a fucking a sip. sip. Oh, God. You should have seen what he did with his throat there. All right. This is getting real self-indulgent, and I love it. It's because we can hear ourselves. Exactly. It's, it's like uh, it's like I'm hearing myself with my left hand for the first time. <laughs> We're going to have to redo our entire first 10 episodes of the bond. You can hear yourself with your left hand for the first time? <laughs> I is call that a it masturbation the, I call thing? it the strange ears. Oh, this is called the stranger. <laughs> this is called the strangerist. <laughs> the rosy Paul. <laughs> oh, God. I was going to play this episode for my mom. Where are you? Now I'm going to play it for your mom. <laughs> my, my mom or <laughs> your the listener's mom? mom? Well, I'll play them for all. Everybody's mom gets a podcast. Your mom gets a Tartarus number one by Johnny Christmas <clears throat> and Jack T. Cole by Image Comics. This one kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Not, I guess Johnny Christmas worked on the book like Sheltered. Yep. He did some other things that are relatively low profile, even though the name has stood out. I looked him up and I was surprised at how many things he's worked on that I've been curious about and just have never committed to reading. Because I think a lot of his stuff was image books that started shortly before I started working here. Right. Yeah, I guess Sheltered was, was that. Yeah. Um, this is a science fiction book that follows in the footsteps of Prophet or even Protector just a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. in that it's a really very cool avant-garde art style, uh, really unique to itself, and it just drops you in the middle of a science fiction story and doesn't give a shit if you know what's going on or not. Yeah. Into a prison. Like, best best kind of setting there is is space prison. He does love a space prison. Also, I don't know if you noticed, Jenga, but there's a lot of triangles on the walls. And if there's one thing I love, it's triangles. This comic was made for us. It is. And it was also made for Justin, I would say. Oh, yeah. And Ashton. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just made for everybody. It's a good comic. It is. It's a really good comic. And uh, you pointed out in the YouTube video um, a part about it that is obvious, but the way that you worded it, of just sort of like like a cross-generational story. 
Yeah. And it yeah. made me realize there are that's almost like a genre, and I do really like like Jupiter's Legacy or stories right. that take place over a huge period of time. Yeah, and this one was interesting because they spent probably the length of a regular sized comic setting up this super badass chick who escapes from a prison and then she dies and then we follow her daughter 20 years later and i was i was like spoiler alert who you think is the main character dies before you even get to really hang out with her for long yeah and gosh I think that it did a fantastic job of like world building. Like you do, mm -hmm. you meet that character and the the benefit of these books that kind of drop you in without any exposition is that you are kind of solving a puzzle of understanding as you're working through it, which I guess I like more than being spoon fed something. Yeah. But with Protector, it almost got to the point where maybe it was a little bit more work to try and understand it than it was like, not I'd, that it was a bad comic. I'd all, be but. interested to see Protector as a, double-sized issue yeah with for, a little for a first one because this space. this one i think benefited quite a bit from having two issues to or like like i think it's a double or triple size comic and i think it really benefited from that breathing room it, it reminded me the first half of it reminded me a lot of akira which people probably know is one of my favorite stories of all time but it's um kind of like revolutionaries uh in a kind of strange government situation and uh yeah i don't know it it seemed to to be comprised of a lot of story elements that I'm really fond of, but I think what I like the most is the art. Do you like the art, Django? I like art. Do you like art, you I like art. angry oatmeal-eating old bird man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. anyway, it's, it's a really unique art, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know how long this is going to be, but there's a lot of world building going in. I talked in the YouTube video as well that like it reminded me of like Sid Mead's art style in yeah. that like there's so much world building going on in the background that even when he's drawing a character in the foreground, there, there's so much lived in idea beyond that. Yeah, and there are a lot of a lot of things that carry over from time period to time period that I thought were kind of cool. Just... I didn't notice that. Just uh, like ways that they indicated who characters were, and I don't know, like it, the the technology is has changed a bit, and it may be the setting, like the dirty old prison world, up to the science satellite. But I don't know, it was it didn't feel like a lot of times when you have a future thing, it's like here's the future. Twenty years later, it looks just like yeah. the future. Yeah. Um, and I really liked uh, a lot of the body language and kind of acting from some of the background characters in the future were what was really funny. Like the dude who's like overzealously beating people up the, the security guard on the space station. Yeah. I really enjoyed his, his bits. I love like the architecture itself and the spaceships. Mm -hmm. There's this one page that just has a desk that isn't like any desk I've ever seen. Uh, you know, this is like a double or triple sized oversized issue. So I'm not going to, count the page page 57 now, I, I don't i don't know which one it was but uh there's just some really interesting i don't know like sometimes you're looking at the art in a comic and the person seems to be drawing the things that need to be there and that is all present in this issue but there's also just a lot of life in in the backgrounds that mm -hmm. don't need to be there and it just to me it speaks to kind of like how much visual world building this artist clearly does and, and clearly has done 
Yeah, and it has it has some elements that I'm not a super fan of, but I think I'm a super fan of it anyway. Yeah. Like Flaming Swords, that's usually a no no go for me. And this has a flaming sword and I liked it. Tell me about your disdain for the flaming sword. How do they stay on fire? That's a good point. Angels. I don't I don't buy that. I also don't just <laughs> I like swords are not my first uh weapon of interest. <laughs> Did I dude, you have you have touched on this before. What, that I don't like swords or flaming swords? I just think it's super interesting that you're like, yeah, I mean, as soon as a sword comes out, I just don't care. You just got to work harder to keep me going. Yeah. I, I guess it's like, here you are in the far future, and you're going to come out with me with a sword? <laughs> like, even though it's on fire, I'm going to shoot you with a laser. Natch. Unless you are quick enough to deflect the laser with the very good edge of the steel I'll shoot you with two two lasers at the same time you like any samurai stories you seem like a guy who likes tom cruise's the last samurai a lot. never saw it i can't think of a samurai story that i've really loved yeah i don't know i'm pretty excited to see tartarus i get the feeling that it might be like three or four issues like probably a pretty pretty small mini series but mm-hmm. this is a 599 issue it's it's pretty it's a lot of meat in a single comic, and I got more interested in it the further I went, which a lot of times you can sort of pique your interest near the beginning and then kind of get bored, and this was the opposite for that. So Definitely me too. Yeah, I, I'm i pretty interested to get back into this world. I would give it an eight. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think I would, I would give it a seven and a half. Minus half point for the flaming sword. Just a couple of... Couple of buddies. Just a couple of dudes trying to have a fucking sip. <laughs> the mic got that. Jane, you brought us some port wine tonight. I did. I've never really had port wine, I don't think. I wanted to be extra dehydrated tonight. Is it extra dehydrating? I don't know. Is it's it just a... really sweet. I yeah. like it. I do too. Yeah, it's, it's like not... a dessert. Yeah. Okay. Superman Heroes number <clears throat> one by Brian Bendis, Matt Faction. Fraction, Greg Rucka, Kevin McGuire, Steve Lieber, Mike Perkins, Mike Norton, Mike Perkins. I don't think that's his name. Scott Goldla- Golduski? This is another one of those like Goldluski. classic uh, Bendis get a whole bunch of people on a book book. Yeah, and it's it's basically like a third of an issue of all of the ongoing Superman comics right now. Yeah. So it's like a little bit of Jimmy Olsen, a little bit of Lois Lane, a little bit of action, a little bit of Superman. It's a full package. It is a full-on package. Steve Lieber really brought his A-game also in the uh, Jimmy Olsen bits. Um, I had not read this by the time we recorded the YouTube video this week and did read it afterwards, and this is one of my favorite issues of the week for sure it yeah. got an obligatory second place because x-men was x-men sure but i had such like a joyous time reading this comic book while i pooped <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i loved almost every segment that's in here um bendis is doing a really cool thing where he's following people who love superman and how they feel about Clark revealing himself as Superman or Superman revealing himself as Clark. And it's just, I don't know, man. I think, I think we've said this every time a Superman comic has come out since that like my favorite part of this Superman story is just the small human moments that he keeps having with people who he's had to lie to for his entire existence. 
Yeah, Bendis has like more of a grasp on the humanity of Superman than mm-hmm. than just about anybody that has written it, aside from Grant Morrison, a couple other obviously classic writers. But he also really taps into sort of the the joy and naivete of of Superman's humanity. Yeah. But so this in the previous issue where he'd given up his given up the ghost of his identity, if you will, uh, he walked into the justice hall and there was a giant table filled with all of these superheroes and it said continued in superman heroes so that's what this is like Django said kind of following up on all the people decompressing about that which if it doesn't sound amazing it is amazing it made me think though what how what do you think about so there's a scene in here the the lois lane piece and greg rucker writes a fantastic lois lane but she goes to the bat cave and hangs out with bat like batman and they have a conversation about how Batman feels about him giving up his identity and he kind of criticizes it. And then Lois says something to the effect of like, are you jealous of him? And he's like, I'd go almost all of my life never being jealous of him. But, and he kind of alludes to a degree of jealousy for Superman's ability to give up his identity because that's a thing that Batman really never can do. Right. And, uh, I don't know. What do you, I just, what do you think about the idea of, like, do you think it breaks the character? Do you think that it's just going to get undone? Like, Oh, man. How mad do you want to get? Because I, I have an actual theory on this that I've been percolating on for a couple of days. I super want to hear your percolation ideas. Um, since the last time I took a shower. So for like two days. Yeah. Uh, also, I think that was Wonder Woman he was talking to. Mm, you're totally right. Because she's got, totally she's got right. the gauntlets. You're totally right. Um, <clears throat> so, do you remember when Superman lost his powers in the New 52? He, yes. he went powerless. People found out who he was. Um, he put on a black T-shirt and jeans and started roaming the country like a dink. And it was pretty interesting at first, and then had some really weird editorial decisions, and then the New 52 ended. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing's kind of going on here. I think that DC is getting ready to plop Dr. Manhattan down in front of us and reboot a lot of what's going on with Rebirth. And I think that part of that is likely to be Superman revealing his identity. So you think that there are things that are happening in Rebirth that they want to undo? I think it's time for a reboot. I think I think DC sales aren't where they'd like them. And I think that they have finally got the mechanism to do whatever they want. And all they really have to do is hit a reset button with Dr. Manhattan, and we can end up with a whole new universe. And if that's what the 5G thing is, it's going to be kind of weird and and disappointing. Maybe they're just going to create a an ultimate DC universe kind of deal. Um, but the, just when I started thinking about this the other day, it just popped into my head that they just did this with Superman five years ago, three years ago. Did 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 they did they? That they, timeline, they, I don't remember. They took his powers away. John Romita drew the covers. like Yeah, and that was when he, like... Or maybe they didn't take all of his powers away, but he didn't have right. all of his well, powers. Well, he used his, like, supernova thing, which then caused him to lose his powers for, like, a week or a month And or then something. a bunch of people knew who he was. D- did they? I think so. Because he couldn't go back to his apartment because um, people knew who he was. Hmm. I don't know. The, the story was a little muddled there, but I don't know. It just... It, it felt like that to me, and and some of the other DC books that are coming out right now feel like, okay, guys, tread water for a little while until we are yeah. until we have all the dominoes in a row. I do think that there is a sort of element of treading water going on. 
And then, like I could I could totally be wrong. I'm basing this on nothing other than like Django's big dumb story idea that he had in the shower two days ago. I hope that it's not going to be that. Not that that's I mean, not a I, good idea. I, but, I hope not too. But I I feel like they're going to stick with it for several at least a couple more years. I mean, I, I don't think that Bendis... Is, I think they made such a big deal about Bendis being on Superman. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's at least two years of, like, Bendis Bat- or Superman stories still. I, I would read them. Yeah, for and, sure. And probably enjoy them. My favorite bit in this issue was the part where he goes to visit his old high school teacher. I thought you might like that part. Yeah, yeah. It probably stinked of Jeff. But it was just this gorgeous moment of, like, Superman going to his old high school teacher... And he's like, oh, people have been talking a lot about you lately. And Superman, I love this. It's just such a Superman moment that one of the things that he would want to do is go back to this really important teacher that helped him learn a lot of valuable lessons and clarify to him that like, hey, I just want you to know that I never cheated in your class and I learned a lot of really valuable lessons from you and you're really important to me. And he's like, oh, yeah, I thought about you after learning your identity on the news, and I didn't think that you cheated because no one cheats to earn a C minus mi- <laughs> or C plus or something. Which is uh, anyway, it's just it's hilarious. And my favorite part was the Jimmy Olsen thing, where he's like, "Jimmy, oh. did you, like Jim, did you know that I was Clark?" And he's like, "Well, I, I don't know. I don't talk about it." Finally, Superman kind of goads him into saying it, and he's like, well, yeah, the only two people in the world who call me Jim are you and Superman, so of course I knew that it was you. And that, just like the the really subtle ways that Bendis is able to connect these people is super cute. Yeah. and also, that, I, didn't, I don't think I read the epilogue. Yeah, it's a little two-pager thing. Huh. Um, tying in like the Leon stuff from earlier in the run, the crime boss Leon. Sure. I was skeptical in terms of ordering this for the shop, like... How many do we get? Do we just get it for Superman subs? Is this a book that's going to sell off the shelf? Who's going to be wanting this? Because when it comes down to like kind of one-shot tie-ins like this, mm-hmm. I guess I'm kind of jaded about them. And when Bendis has done them, like Leviathan Dawn, this one, probably others, he just he makes a I I think he makes a quality product yeah. regardless. Like I don't I don't think he shits things out unless he's obviously shitting things out. Yeah, and I wonder who makes the decision to wrap these things up in this way. It doesn't seem yeah, like right. the most elegant or the most integrated way for Bendis to get this story out. But at the same time, I don't think I could handle like nine issues of him dealing with this no. a little bit at a time. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So all of that to be said, Django, what would you give this book a score-wise? 8.5. Easy 8.5. I didn't love the Batman part uh, just because I thought it was... I don't know that we really have to see what Batman thinks about this plan that, that Clark had. but uh, and, and I didn't feel like there were any surprises in there. Uh, but, but I dug the rest of it quite a bit. Yeah. I... I did like the Batman bit. It was probably my least favorite of the portions, but I think that that like that humanity of Batman that was displayed of him talking about that jealousy of just like, yeah, I do live a life where I will never be able to give my identity up. Right. I think there was a nice bit of humanity that was uh, exhibited there. I also want to say we don't talk about the Bendis half step much anymore or at all. Yeah, does he it even is, do it? Oh yeah, it's still in there for sure. I had a couple instances. So where he's it, he's doing it. I am. He <laughs> he is. And uh uh oh, oh that 
that was presumptuous of me. Like, there, it's yeah. all over. And I just don't even realize it anymore. But, Bendis, I guess you can keep doing whatever you want because I love it. Django. What do you give it? Oh, I can't remember if I just agree with you at 48.5 or I'm almost tempted to go up nine. Oh, gosh. Um, <clears throat> Django, will you spin me a yarn? Will you tell me of a tale? Yeah, do you want me to do it kind of quick? I mean, you could you could do a bookshot, bookshot, or you could you know take some time with it. I'm, okay, I'm down with I'll either way. I'll take a few minutes with it. Uh, gosh, I blew that wad. No, I liked that wad. Uh, okay, Hawkeye Freefall number three, or Shlee, if you will. Yes, Shreemy. Uh, if you ever want to know the secret origin of Shlee, you got to listen to like ninety other episodes to find it. I thought she was just Anakin's mom. <laughs> so in this issue, we find out that. Uh, Hawkeye, as written by Matthew Rosenberg and drawn by Otto Schmidt. Love them both. Has uh, actually been Ronan this whole time. And he did it by finding a time travel machine and t- traveling through time a little bit. Holy shit, I haven't read this yet, so sp- sp- boilers. But I've, ooh, can we make that into a soundbite? Sp- 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 boy, boilers. <laughs> Spoiler boys. <laughs> um, and it... it Kind of like as I was reading it, I was like, "Oh, okay." Multiple man, oh, right, because he had this real wild kind of time travel-y multiple man story that came out, and this one is it's it's not ripping it off or anything, but I was like, Matt Rosenberg likes a, time a little time travel twist yeah. in his things, and holding it for three issues is a pretty cool twist, yeah, right. Um, there are some pretty funny jokes with his his new girlfriend coming home while he's got somebody else in the house, and she starts taking her shirt off in a huff to change. And uh, and this the she like it happens more than once. She walks into the house, and this kid is there, and things don't go super well for the relationship uh, based on that. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to ruin anything else i've already spoiled a lot no, of things you can, but, you can spoil it buddy we're all here uh, together it, it's just like it kind of follows that um that whole time travel thing and, and gives us a little more insight into what's going on with clint i do and flipping through it they're doing the thing where there's nudity and it puts the hawkeye head over his pepper yeah it's um, pretty funny and i love that it's the the old hawkeye outfit over his pepper yeah instead yeah um, I want you to start calling mine a pepper. <laughs> Every oh. time you refer to it, I want it to be pepper. That's a great pepper you got there, Daddy. <laughs> 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 if you can undo it that way. No, Steve, only great do pepper. It that way. Steve Lieber, great pepper. I'll send you a pepper full of package. Oh. I got nothing else. You got nothing else on that? Yeah, I buckshot that. You know what? We're, I, I dug uh, it. We, um... To go on a little bit of a tangent, engage in a variety of tangents, we, either we, related to or unrelated to the books, the comic we, shops, the coming and goings of our lives. We're get yeah okay. Um, we're gonna get uh, a, a re up on our shop coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, super excited about that. We've loved having the Mobius strip in the store. We're getting a couple extra bags of that to take down to the Comics Pro event next week, so we can give them out to people. We're gonna give one to Matt Rosenberg because he's a good old boy, and we liked him very much for uh, doing that interview with us. I think somebody else has earned a bag of that coffee. It's going to be there. Yeah. Um, if Steve drinks coffee, it's He's his. getting a package. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, we're going to be getting 
three bags ground. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags ground mm. for the shop. Yes, sir. So yes, that's going to be a fun thing. I'm loving this Hawkeye run, man. Are you? Did this one, one you were pretty good about. Two you liked more. This yeah. one on the level with two. Is it down say, a level of one? I would one? say a little bit of both. And you give it to that score. Uh, I'd give this a seven and a half. Seven and a half? Yeah, I would say I like the time travel and the slapsticky bit a lot. I care a little bit less about the the kind of Ronin-y side of things. Mm-hmm. Like the superhero side, I like, it's, it's, it's fine, but it's not what I'm here for. The Hood is the main villain going on in this series. Yeah. Did he crop up in this issue? Oh, yeah, he's in there. Okay. How do you feel about The Hood? I don't know anything about him except what I've read in this series. He's um, like a Brian K. Vaughn character. It's kind of a booty. Yeah. It's just not, there's not a ton of characters that have had legs that have been created within the last 15 years, you know, that like yeah. have been carried from run to run. Yeah. I feel like I, I don't like him because he's kind of a douchey bro and mm-hmm. they should just put a big old Hawkeye thing over all of him because he's just one big pepper. Just a giant Hawkeye pepper cover. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I want to talk about X-Men number six by Jonathan Hickman. In this one, we have an artist uh, <clears throat> doing fill-ins for Lineal U, which I think we all kind of were expecting uh, him to not be able to do a ton of them, but it's Matteo Bufagni, and the color artist is Sonny Go. Even though it's not Lineal U, who is... I think a great artist, but I don't get super excited to have him on a book anymore. Uh, this is all really taking place within the cracks of House of X and Powers of Ten. Um, spoilers for House of X, spoilers for X-Men, spoilers for this book, but in House of X number two, we saw Moira kill Destiny, who could see the future, and she needed to take all precogs off the table. And they introduced the new element in this, uh, Mystique and Destiny have long since had a relationship, but in this one we learn that they've actually been married and, and Destiny was her wife and Moira killed her in a previous life. But in in this timeline, Destiny did tell Mystique, like, hey, they're, I'm going to get killed and I can't sp- tell you what's happening in the future, but at some point the X-Men are going to offer you something and it's going to seem too good and they're not going to give you what you want, which mm-hmm. ultimately is to have her brought back to life. But... <clears throat> What this issue did is provided an entire alternative viewpoint of the House of X Krakoa stuff that's going on from Mystique's viewpoint. And from her viewpoint, the X-Men are really shitty. Like, Charles and Magneto are being incredibly manipulative. She knows they're just using her. I don't think I disagree with her. No, and, and that's what I love about this book is like on Wednesday we had a long-standing awesome customer just be like I'm gonna drop this book like I'm just tired of reading the X-Men being assholes yeah and I was texting Justin this this morning but I think it's just really cool to be working in a comic shop at this time where there is so many very differing views about this property yeah like and I think it speaks to you know how well written it all is that Jonathan Hickman is able to spin a yarn that yeah you don't it's so gray but to you know this one it had the moment in the house of x number three or four where they have to go to the satellite of the mother mold circling the sun and mystique shows up and she's like oh i got lost and i remember when that issue came out and we're all like that's super sketchy what happened there and then months go by and you forget about it and you learn exactly what happened here she was on a special mission from charles but so okay hickman hickman does long stories yeah and I haven't read a ton of them, but I, I feel like he loops back to previous discussions and, and things that 
didn't make sense. He'll he'll see the thing. Show you later why or what or whatever. How long do you think is too long to loop back to something like that? Like I would never have known or cared if he didn't jump back and show us what happened with Mystique. I've I've read so many comics since then and I didn't soak myself in those comics like you guys did when they first came out. But how how long could he have gone before he showed us this? And how many other things do you think we were teased and have forgotten about that he'll loop back to at some point? I think it's an interesting question. I don't think that I think the best case scenario is that when you're reading something, a red flag is raised in that situation. Mm-hmm. And in the best case scenario, you forget entirely about it until it's brought back up. Mm-hmm. So in that point, I think it's almost like an experiment to see how long you can go. Right. So like at some point they're going to have to address how Wolverine gets his adamantium back. Yeah. But like not probably not actually. Not but, that, but but yeah. I, I think he does experiment with that more than most people because he has a, a huge brain that keeps things, you know, together. Yeah. And I think that if I were to guess, he probably assumes other people are keeping right. as good track of it as he is, which they're not. Yeah. But I I, I really like that, um, that idea of like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. Well, at this point, we've had 12 issues of Hawks Pox mm-hmm. and... 36 issues of Dawn of X. Well, I also think that it's like worth mentioning that like in my mind, all of the people that were like, oh, they're just making it so you have to read all of them and you get this whole story. I think that's totally done away with. I'm not, I don't give that argument any credence because they're all so different. I don't think you're missing anything by only reading this book. So, so like, yes, 36 issues, but None of that stuff has really touched on the larger implications really? or even smaller implications. Just of like Hawks eighteen Pox. issues total. I don't know. It just it. I I I had forgotten about that she had been lost on, right. in that in that time, and right. I'm. It it just occurred to me like a lot. It seems like a lot has happened since then, and these one shots are great for them to do that. Like go back, right, and look at something. Again, and he seems to be setting these one shots up in a way that will let him fill in spaces in between issues if he feels like. And somebody was talking to me about like, yeah, I thought that this was maybe getting, I think Hickman was maybe building a thing that was kind of escaping his his grasp. Like uh, he was he created a promise that wasn't getting fulfilled upon possibly. Mm-hmm. And to me, this issue, this run so far, these six issues have reminded me a lot of the sort of second story arc in his Fantastic Four run where we're getting these one shots that felt very like, why am I hanging out in a toy store with Franklin Richards while a guy with a giant head is making evil toys? Like, why does that matter? Eventually it does. And then you're like, holy shit, that was perfect. And it all like, I have absolute faith in this and these issues to be doing that. Planetary did that. Yeah. Like planetary was one shots for half of the series. 18 issues or something. Yeah. And it was a 25 or 26 issue run. Um, So anyway, yeah, this, it's just, I've continued to have a tremendous amount of faith in this and in the last three issues of this series have, have really been inspiring that. And I loved it. No surprise there. Django, what did you think of it though? I liked it a lot. I got lost in some parts because I don't read X-Men books very closely or really any books really closely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I was mad at Charles, which I think is what we're 
supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I really something that comics did a whole lot this week was tell stories in ways that I haven't seen before or just like use the medium in interesting ways that you don't see all the time. Yeah. And this one did a really good job of showing Mystique doing things that you didn't know she had been doing. Even within this issue, you find out that she did something you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I thought that the way that they showed that with the black and white panels and, and oh, the blue yeah. character was super, super cool. Yeah, I wonder if that was a Hickman thing or an artist thing. I, if I had to guess, it, I would say Hickman. Yeah. Or at least like Hickman coached. Yeah. You know, story-wise, I, I've I've kind of checked out uh, on not not checked out on the X Men, but I don't. I'm not super worried about what happens to anybody, mm-hmm. um, and I don't just I just don't have the brain to to track it all and and to really feel that attachment that you do. I would give it a nine point five though. I I loved it. I loved the story. I loved the art. It was it's not a perfect book, but. It gave me that feeling of thank God we're doing the stuff that I really want from this book, even though I love when we're not doing that. I give it a seven. Yeah, like I wish I wish that I liked anything as much as you like Hickman. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. Um, but it is an entertaining read. It is very comic book, and but but it's kind of confronting things a little more seriously than a comic book. But it's playing with the comic book toys to to kind of tell a more serious story. So, thanks for letting me bloviate about... God damn it, I hit the wrong button. Which one were you hoping to get? I was trying to hit the uh, Serenity Now. Oh. This is what happens when Jango starts chanting, or when Jeff just starts bloviating about the X-Men. Serenity Now! Religion and politics often makes people act like total douchebags to their employees when they learn to chant. Teaching you things, you ingrates. Oh, God. They're your employees. Um, will you tell me about a book that you read since I got to do that one? Yeah. So this is like halfway through this comic, I realized that I was basically reading a different version of the Superman heroes story. Uh, it's Batman Pennyworth R.I.P. by James Tynion the Fourth or Jimmy or T.I.V. If you like colloquially. Um, and it has, let's see, James Tynion and Peter Tomasi with art by Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, Chris Burnham, Marcio Takara, Diogenesis Neves, David LaFuente, and Sumit Kumar. I really like David LaFuente, and I mm-hmm. didn't realize that Chris Burnham was in this, which you know I'm a big Chris Burnham fan. Dude, you, I think you would love the Chris Burnham scene in here. Oh. Um, yeah, so the art is kind of, I guess, literally all over the place because it's... A bunch of artists with very different styles. The oh, Chris Burnham stuff God, I is love Burnham. head and shoulders my favorite. Um, this is this follows Batman. Well, it follows Bruce dedicating like a statue in a, a children's hospital or something like that to Alfred, um, and all of the kids, all of the the Bat family hanging out at the same time, and out uh, in Alfred's like Alfred's last wishes include a request that Bruce take a day off. And so they set up for like a couple of the other superheroes to take care of Gotham for the day. And Bruce and all of the, I guess all of the boy Robins and Batgirl go to Noonan's bar, which is the bar from Hitman. 
Oh. Like Bruce has bought out Noonan's Bar, so they've got a private party. It's just them. And we just kind of proceed to watch all of the kids shout at Bruce for being a butthole and tell one eight-page story about Alfred. Um, it was, I don't know, it, it felt it felt a little manufactured to me. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's bad. Um, and there's like an ongoing joke about uh, Dick Grayson still being Rick and not remembering Alfred or any of these weirdos oh, that he's hanging out God, with. Oh, God, how shittily timed. But in Dick order Grayson's to do around, that, but... in order to do that, they have to say, asterisk, this takes place before uh, Nightwing annual number something. Like, they're like they're telegraphing that he's, he's about to come back. back. Oh, um, yeah, issue takes place prior to the events of Nightwing annual number two. Editorial. Um, like duh yeah if you're following nightwing you know it takes place before that yeah um so yeah i mean it it felt very off tone for the tom king run and i feel like this should this follow-up to the fallout of the tom king run should feel more like that story yeah um and other than that it was it was a good comic it wasn't it didn't blow my socks off there were some really cool art scenes i really like it when they do the thing where Batman's kneeling and his cape goes out like yeah. Kelly Jones drew it. It's yeah. happened a few times in the last couple of weeks, yeah. and I love it. Um, and I'm still confused about why, like, why Bruce doesn't just buy a bunch of lights to put in Crime Alley, but uh, <laughs> and paint cut a down nice some of the crime. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like do a little bit of social manipulation yeah, here, man. <laughs> Fix some of those windows. Just make sure a cop walks by three times a day. You know. Yeah, yeah. Buy the cop if you have to. Um, so I, like, I would give the Chris Burnham art in this a nine and a half, almost a 10. It's not a 10 though. I miss getting Chris Burnham art. The colors are a little faded for me, uh, or I would probably get a gooey duck. Um, and I would give the comic on the whole, like a six and a half or seven. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I think anybody who's been reading Superman, who doesn't read the Superman heroes story is making a mistake. And I think that this is a nice little extra. This is like watching the DVD extras. So do you like Batman enough to watch the DVD extras? Then get Pennyworth R.I.P. Pennyworth R.I.P. Um, that cover is gorgeous, though. Lee Weeks. He's so good. He's so good. And no one, like, his his color palette is unmistakable. I want to see Lee Weeks. Okay, here's, here's my Batman dream team right now. Yeah. All right, Chris Burnham, mm-hmm. Lee Weeks, um, Steve Lieber, and Fornes. <laughs> That would be quite the package. I would, I would read, I would read that. Uh, my dream team for Batman would be Fornes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um, no, I mean, like, who else? Oh, that could have been timed better, Django. Yeah. Uh, I'll move it forward a second. Um, yeah, I mean, I do like Tony Daniels showing up. You know, I love Jorge Fornes. I love Chris Burnham on it. Um, I'd forgotten how much I like Chris Burnham until I read this issue. Yeah. His, his like, die, 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 and his, like, kind of Buck Wild stuff is just that. It's very Buck Wild. It's, that, that shit is right up my alley. Yeah. I love the way he draws holes in people's brains. Yeah. I do love that you have a classification of artists of who draws the best brain holes. <laughs> uh, but I, 
yeah, I, when he's doing Batman, like he's just distorted enough to be off model, but doing his own thing. Like I, I love it. It feels like a super indie Batman when he does it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And also, uh, yeah, I I love um, David Finch. Finch, um, who Mitch Garrods, Mitch Garrods, Jorge Fornes, and Lee Weeks. I mean, basically, Tom King's staple of artists. I think was yeah. pretty perfect for it. Uh, Chris Burnham, I do think, is also fantastic for Frank Quitely. Would you like to see? All right. Well, Frank Quitely's the name. I am Dino. Dino channeled through Django. Dino? Dino, your face just appeared on Django's face. Oh, hi. (laughs) Jeff. Yeah, Dino. What's your question, bud? I have a question. What is it, Dean? No? Chipino? Dino, you're Fuck, back. I you're forgot it. Sick, I forgot it. Is it your dream team of artists for Batman? God damn it. You got really into that. I got really into the Dino thing. Just a second. Err, I'm Dino. Thank you. Dino talking through Django's body. You're going to forget again, bud. Hey guys. Hey Dino. Insert pun here. <laughs> oh, bud. Jeff. Yeah. And Django. Mm-hmm. Would you like to see Steve Lieber? It's about twenty-five percent longer than I should have been. <laughs> drawing a Tom King story. Thanks, guys. See you Wednesday. Dino, your question is: Would I like to see Steve Lieber draw a Tom King story? I think I think what Dino's saying is that Steve <laughs> Lieber works really well with Matt Fraction, who writes funny stuff, and Steve Lieber has like the perfect timing for a pretty funny, heartfelt comic. Yeah, right. But like, does he have what it would take to draw a Tom King story, which is often pretty serious and and like verging on dour? Would that team up work in the same way? Like, would that give us the Steve Lieber that we love? The whole package that he does with. I think that it would. Well, Dino, I think that it would be pairing an artist with a writer where neither of their two strengths uh, synchronize with the other. I agree with Jeff 100%. So I think that we'd get a comic book that doesn't shine. <laughs> Dino. Will you think twice before calling in, Dino? That was a that was a one that was a hundred percent your weakest question yet, Dino. That was not. <laughs> Listen, you can't win them all, Jeff. Sometimes you do something. You win and it's, some, you uh, dim some. Yeah, yeah. We're getting breakfast. Oh, I want some breakfast. What was the last thing you ate? <sighs> Sandwich, and then I oh well, I mean going backwards, I had a grapefruit. I okay. had a throat lozenge. I wish I had a I had a donut. I had a Gwen Stacy, number one, Marvel Comics. This one's written by Christos Gage with art by Todd Nock, colorist Rochelle Rosenberg. Django, you said that Christos Gage is a writer that you like a lot. I do. He wrote a lot of stuff from the the end of Wildstorm, like the middle and the end of Wildstorm when they got absorbed by DC. Um and and it was it was never anything that stood out as like oh this is my favorite comic of the week but I would read it and I'd be like that's a good like that is a rock solid comic it's got good jokes it's got good action it's got good heart and every time I would feel like that about a uh, a Wildstorm comic or uh, or an Avatar comic for a while I would look at the front and be like oh that name again and it's it was always Christos Gage hmm so. Tell me how he did with Gwen Stacy, because I didn't get through this. 
I my least favorite part is the Todd Knock art, who's been doing a lot of covers for Marvel lately, okay. and I've disliked his art quite a bit on the covers. But as I was reading this, this really is like the perfect artist between Mark Bagley mm-hmm. and like Ryan Stegman, who oh, okay. is doing a lot of current Venom stuff. Right. And he's he's a great artist, but I didn't realize how this made me like, oh, Ryan Stegman actually looks like a beefed up '90s version of Mark Bagley. To me, it looked like uh, Bagley was inking J. Scott Campbell. Yeah, there's some, actually you're right. The faces and the eyes are very yeah. J. Scott Campbell. Um, one thing I want to add in real quick is that I don't know for sure. Because my I have obviously a ton of holes in all of my comic reading knowledge, and I still love them, so that's just a thing. But um, this has Gwen Stacy. It takes place right before her first appearance in Amazing Fantasy, which I think was 23 or 32. But it has uh, a police officer whose name, I forget her name right off the bat, something Watanabe. But it's the police officer that was introduced as a character in the PlayStation 4 Spider-Man game. Oh. That is re- she's awesome in that game and that game has some of the best Spider-Man storytelling I've gotten in the last 5 years. Nice. So I I really liked seeing as as far as I know them sort of retcon introducing a character from a different continuity into the main continuity. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was cool. But that aside, this mostly follows Gwen Stacy in high school while her father is working on a case that's kind of got her uh, in a vulnerable spot because the the enforcers, if you remember the enforcers from like early, within the first like 10 issues of Amazing yeah. Spider-Man, like the first appearance of the Green Goblin there in it, but they're just a kind of gang of uh, goons but they uh, threaten Gwen, and they set up her dad to make it look like he is a corrupt cop. But it's mostly just you hanging out with Gwen Stacy, and I've always really liked Gwen Stacy. I like her. She's so sweet and caring and good-hearted, and I, I like her as a counterpoint to what I don't like about Mary Jane. Right. Because she doesn't feel like a... I mean, there's been stories where Mary Jane's fantastic, but, you know, the the model, supermodel, you hit the jackpot tiger character is not my favorite. And I, I've always liked Gwen Stacy as the opposition to that, and she's a tragic character because she died. And, you know, as somebody who pines for the past, I, it's a great... It's a great way of spending some time with Gwen Stacy, but one thing that really makes me excited for this series... So, I liked it. I, I think that Christos Cage, it's interesting to hear you talk about his previous work because what you said rang true to me in this. I can't think of anything that I've read off the top of my head from him. He hasn't done a ton lately. Like he did Absolution from Avatar, which yeah. is like super violent cop thing. And I read it and was like, oh, that's good. And this was like before I worked at the shop. Yeah. So I wasn't tracking writers as close as right. I do now. I was like, oh, that was good. Who? Wrote? Oh, holy shit. It was Christos Gage again. Back when you were just Django Avatar Boren. Yeah. 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 Crossed guy. Yeah. Professional uh, crossed guy. Professional crossed guy. But yeah, that she's... There's a lot of heart in it. The interactions she has with her father, Captain Stacy, are wonderful. They really do a lot to develop her intelligence. There's like a great sort of procedural problem-solving cop moment in mm-hmm. this that she has. It almost feels like the problem that you solve of like, you got several people on a boat and they need to cross a river, but only this person <laughs> can't go in this boat and this person has like whatever that problem. Like she does a really cool logic puzzle in this that I enjoyed reading her walk through. And, uh, and at the end, we get a cliffhanger that Green Goblin's going to tie in. 
So all that to say, I really like getting to spend time with Gwen Stacy, but my main excitement about this series is that I don't know, I don't remember where I read it, but I, I believe I heard that this is going to reference or change or provide some alternate information about the relationship that Gwen Stacy had with Norman Osborn that Ugh. J. Michael Straczynski wrote in his run of Super Spider-Man. Like where they did it? Yeah. Like okay. they were doing it. And that is such a bummer to me that like I love Gwen Stacy and I I, think, I love Straczynski. Yeah. And that aspect of that story, like that's one story that drastically changes her entire character. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do to like tell one story that shadows an entire, you know, 50 years of continuity, but that did that. And so I don't believe in just undoing things. So I'm interested to see how they reference that because it's a thing that no one else has touched because it's such a despicable thing. I feel like. Yeah. I, so there were, there were, I I only read about half of this issue. Uh Uh-huh. And there are a couple things that stood out to me as, oh, somebody should have edited this a little bit better. And that wasn't why I quit reading it. I had to come to work by surprise. But And it's a, um, it doesn't scream Django to me on any level in here. No, I, and I, I enjoyed most of what I read. But just like in, in the patented Django quick read, I was a little bit irritated that Gwen was using agave nectar in her cupcakes many years ago. That didn't... That didn't click for me and yeah. then the part where she's she packs her dad some lunch and puts it in tupperware and then the desk sergeant says gwen great to see you that smells wonderful you can't fucking smell that well we only see the tupperware portion but maybe there's some like bananas or chili open in the bag i don't buy it <laughs> i don't buy it it pissed me off actually and then her dad gets shot in the leg and he's hooked up to a million wires and i thought that was a little bit overboard especially yeah. since like two pages later he's just sitting there arguing right and you know it's fine it's fine it's fine yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah serenity now it's fine. it's fine it's fine no i agree i could point holes poke holes in that stuff as well what is also really interesting about this book is the amount of back matter in it there is a one page like charlie brown style comic that's cute and adorable of uh-huh. her against the enforcers. There's a double page gorgeous spread that introduces a Spider Gwen version of Captain America, the whole Hawkeye, Iron Man, Thor. Um, and I just liked that as a double page art spread, but it also seems to me that, like, in two years, this might be a valuable first appearance of Captain Gwen America or something. I'm going to. I'm gonna be bummed. If and that then happens. after that, there was another single-page one-shot story of like just brutal-ass cyborg Gwen Stacy at the end of time fighting a fleet of goblins. Okay, what do you give it? That's a good question. I only read half of it, so I can't. Uh, I would give it a seven point five. Okay, uh, I would give it a. No, I only read half of it. That's all you get. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I would give it a. <laughs> And I realized that we organize these books very poorly if we're thinking about ending this conversation with Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Why? Because well, I also only got through half of this before I had to stop? Did you have to stop, or could you just not keep going? Oh, I didn't think it was that bad. I think I think it was exactly what I expected with more F-bombs. So I want to clarify something. I have been on the record as not caring for Amanda Connor's art. And I think maybe Django at some point said that in some, like, she fits in some things. Mm-hmm. I don't want her writing my Batman book. I don't necessarily even love her covers. But her art 
was I'm really glad that her art was in this. It was my favorite part of the comic, and I'm not saying that as like an insult to the co- the comic. Like, I the, think it was her, good. Her art worked well. Yeah, and I've I've always just kind of liked her art. I I think oh yeah, she did one full Batman issue, right? She that, did. It was like it the Catwoman like one. Yeah, but I think that for the tone of a Harley Quinn comic or a Spirit comic. I don't know if she actually drew any of those spirit comics, but I think she could have really easily. Um, I I think that she works really well for that kind of thing. Um, this book follows Harley Quinn after sh- her big breakup with Poison Ivy, which I don't know why right now we, we always need Harley Quinn to be recovering from a big breakup. Between this and the movie, that seems a little... I don't know, like oh, like she's getting pigeonholed into just a broken-hearted character. Yeah, I definitely don't think that they're super reinforcing the strength and independence of her. No, not at all. Even though it seems like that seems to be the intention Yeah, with a lot of the Harley Quinn stuff. And she's got, you know, her motley gang of buddies, and they're going up against some bad guys. Um, I don't know. I the This was not made for me. And Jeff asked who I thought it was made for earlier, and I gotta say, I at first I was like, "Oh yeah, I know who this is made for." And then I got to some f bombs and some really violent deaths, and I was like, "Nope, no idea. I don't know who's supposed to pick this up and really enjoy it." I really don't like. We are selling it, yeah. And there are Harley Quinn fans, and I'm on record as being a very big fan of Harley Quinn from the animated series. Oh, you're a Harley head and a Harley head and a half. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting to me like how different as a character she was there and it's like a long list of differences and at the same time I have a hard time putting my finger on exactly what the one thing is but mm-hmm. like I feel like she demonstrated an intelligence and a competence that she lacks now and yeah. it seems like they just kind of have fun with that like oh I'm just sort of like I'm just a sex crazed you know fiend that wants to cause mayhem and and I might have a three foot mallet hiding in my panties yeah and like, it's panties always like there's so many and I know Amanda Connor is great at drawing sexy people but there are there are like four shots of Harley Quinn falling backwards with her legs open yeah like over and over again which I guess is just and I don't mean it maliciously like who is this for but like really like is this for boys? Is it for girls? We don't need to bring gender into it. Is it is it someone who likes are they older? Are they younger? Are they fans of action and adrenaline? Are they fans of like wanting to like read scantily clad characters which there's nothing wrong with? But it's like hypersexualized, but also a little bit vanillaed. Like they could draw this whole thing naked and they could put it in a boundless book, or they can put clothes on everybody and just put it in a DC book. If that makes any sense. Make a black label on it. Yeah. It's, and I just, I don't know. The art was nice, but I am, I don't know what they're doing with Harley Quinn. And I think that she's a popular enough character that I think that they could be making any Harley Quinn merchandise Mm -hmm. and people would be buying it. And I think that for some reason, this is the one they've been putting out and they're like, well, people are buying it. So we got to keep this. And it's like, they would get it either way. And like, yeah, it's, it's childish. With jokes. But then, yeah, it's definitely dick jokes and sex jokes and nudity almost. But But it doesn't... But no actual nudity. Right. Like, really good Amanda Connor nudity with people's arms reaching over their nipples so you can't see anything. Right. Just like a lot of exposed boobs but no nipples, a lot of people in their underwear, a lot of, like, beavers talking about having wood. Yeah. It... I don't know. It's just... 
it makes me feel conflicted. It, it doesn't feel necessarily, not that everything needs to, but it's not either like an empowering story of a woman either. Like, it's not like, oh, they're reclaiming their sexuality. It's like, no, she's, I don't know. It's, she still seems like a hanger on to so many people. And I don't know. I'm just, I, I have a really hard time with Harley Quinn nowadays. I really wish that I, I liked the character, but I like elements of the character, but I just, more than anything, I really dislike what it seems like the rich old men in charge of DC are, are having her do. Yeah. Um, I did think about you, like his, there's a hotel, it's called the Dream and Seaman. And I was like, well, I mean, does Django like that? Like what, how do people feel about this? Like, is this, I was trying really hard to be very, very open-minded and, and like, you know, the art I liked more than I thought. And I was, you know, like maybe these jokes are jokes that like Django would like. So maybe there are. I think if this didn't say Harley Quinn on the cover, I would like it a lot more. I would like the jokes. I would, I would think that the whole thing was a lot more entertaining if it was uh, set in the world of the pro, mm-hmm. right? Which uh, also Amanda Connor. Amanda Connor and Garth Ennis. But to have it be this character who is kind of designed to appeal to young girls and then written to kind of be jokes that I think are, are not, not super healthy for younger people at all, really. I don't know. I don't want to sound like, I I mean, we're two dudes, so we don't really know. Like, I also don't want to sound like that kind of gatekeeper. Like you shouldn't let your kids read Harley Quinn. I just think that they're, they're taking a tool that could be used for good and using it for, eh. Like there's a page and a half here where most of the dialogue is centered around Harley Quinn trying to get another girl to help her put her bra on and her bra is like falling off. Black and label, I don't know. Baby. What's that? Black label. Yeah. And I don't know. Like I'm a dude, so take all of it with a grain of salt cuz I don't I don't really know. Um cuz like Amanda Connor is doing the art and she's co-writing it. So maybe it's all totally totally fine and I shouldn't have any issue with that, but it just seems like a weird kind of shameless like Okay, like, what are you using to sell this? Like, are you trying to sell it with arousal? Because I guess that you're working, but... And that's fine, too. It's also totally fine. Like, but for some reason, this annoys me more than a book that's like a boundless book, where it's just straight up pterodactyls penetrating somebody. Right. (laughs) You know? Well, this is also, like, a lot of the character design and the characters themselves are are ripped from the movie, too. Right. Right, like the the Cassandra Kane is more like right. the movie Cassandra Kane and like all of them. They they meet Renee Montoya in the end and it's it's I don't know. We've talked way too long about it. Yeah, it's not it's it's more just confusing to me. Well, so what'd you give this book? Uh I didn't finish it. Okay. I would I would give the stuff that I read like give it a f- Yeah. <laughs> like I said, if if this was um not Harley Quinn, I'd probably give it a seven and a half or an eight because the jokes are pretty funny. And the, you know, the situations are entertaining as a slapstick book. Um, but as as a Harley Quinn book, I'm going to put my incensed old man mask on and uh, say six. I'm going to put my old man mask on as well and put, give it a 5.5. Yeah. Like, I don't think I don't think it's terrible, but I just don't I don't really know. I, I just get the feeling there are some Harley Quinn fans out there that would be really pumped to get a different version of Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who sees this and is like, fuck yeah! Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Oh, no. It's just called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey now. Really? Yeah, they changed all the marketing in the theaters. Wow. Yeah, I, like, I think they changed posters and the, the technical title of the movie. 
So that's interesting because that to me reflects like they felt like a mistake was going on, so they fixed it. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting a lot of people who really don't didn't like it. And then I'm getting other people who did like it. Have we gotten a, I guess IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes has a pretty high score pretty for high it. Score for a DC movie. And I went into it thinking of Suicide Squad, which I really didn't like. Yeah. Was and it was it the way the Killer Croc walked down the stairs into the water? Was that the final? Straw I don't. For I you? only saw it the one time, was it the and Ghostbusters I just remember ending? feeling like sad for DC that they were so tr- trying tremendously to rip <laughs> off Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was so directionless. But Margot Robbie or Roby was was phenomenal. Um, I think she was great in this one as well. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was a lot better than Suicide Squad. One hundred percent, way better than Suicide Squad, and somehow still not a great, great movie for me yeah i do think the first half of it was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and then i felt like mostly the second act was kind of dragged on and beat some jokes into the ground that probably would have stood better if they hadn't uh made it as long as it was i guess my my biggest problem was a lot of wasted opportunities for in jokes and a lot of wasted in jokes that they attempted or like comic book things so like uh they gave us renee montoya and no hint of the question Mm -hmm. like not even graffiti in the background with a question mark um and and that just happened over and over and over i don't think there were any comic creators that i saw in the credits there were like like no cameos of somebody in the industry well a thing that like spider-man far from home did was like in cars driving by when we were looking at their license plates they would do an oh, acronym and the issue number of the first appearance of that character and this is just like the rental car number yeah, like there was straight up scenes where we were following a car and getting way too much action on their license plate. And I was like, okay, what could that mean? What yeah. issue number is that? And it's yeah. like, nope, it's nothing. Yeah, nothing. It's just a car license plate. There's no, or I guess there is a post credit scene. I uh, heard it was so small that it wasn't worth waiting for. Yeah. Um, if anybody else does the same thing I do, which is as soon as the credits roll, they get on their phone and ask, is there a post credit scene for blank? And then find out. Like, that's the world we live in now. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought that it was a pretty good movie. I think it's up there uh, as as one of the better DC Universe movies that they've done. Doesn't have a ton of competition in my estimation. Yeah, what are the best DC movies at this point? I mean... Joker. Joker, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman for sure. Um, What was what was the last one bef- uh, after Wonder Woman? Aquaman. Maybe before this. Aquaman is not in the running. <laughs> water. Uh, He's the king of the water. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> Keep it up. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's not a lot of competition. Is, so is are the best ones to. Birds of Prey and Joker? and Joker and Wonder Woman? I think so. So I would put it in the top three DC flicks. <laughs> Congratulations. And I guess I'm self-conscious saying that Maybe Joker is my favorite. Although Wonder Woman, I think, is a fantastic film. But but Joker also is like artistic in a way that I don't feel like a superhero movie, Marvel included, has has made. Yeah, and I would even hesitate to put it in the DC Cinematic Universe right. because it's arguably just a standalone one-shot. Comment you know? on society's uh, abandonment of those who have... It's a great snapshot of Bellingham circa 2020. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they also are talking about a sequel, which 
dubious about, but I can't imagine know. that Walking Phoenix would do it. Uh, who says they need him? That's true. Well, but, I guess I guess I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, please Jeff. Please do. I'll go see these movies on opening night, but I'm not putting on the bat suit till they make a good one. Yeah, you keep that bat suit locked down, mm-hmm. lock and key, mm-hmm. not a plug for the Netflix series, which is so far pretty good. So far. I've seen him wear the Batman costume while watching Lock and Key. Well, that's a totally different thing. That's oh, because just, that's Stephen just... King's son wrote it? He's got yeah, a name, it's... Django. It's Joe Hill. You don't always have to talk about Stephen King if you bring up Joe Hill. It's just unbridled enthusiasm for fiction. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines you've ever said. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I want to go to the film with you in the Bat costume, but yeah. you won't get it out unless it's a Joe Hill. Step it up, WB. I don't even want to blame DC anymore. I want to blame WB. Yeah, it is. Uh, I I do think, I don't know. I I enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I almost feel like I enjoyed it more than I did because it exceeded my expectations so drastically. Yeah, but it had you, some amazing scenes. It did have a lot of fun scenes. The music was good. The fight choreography was very good. I think it's super awesome that so much of the production, top to bottom, was female. Like mm-hmm. that is just I I think a, a really cool thing. We can do it. So why not do it as a point? Like, and we can do it successfully. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, not that I would want any. I would never want them to be like, "This is an all guy cast." But if they've been doing that for years. Exactly, buddy. and that's exactly the point, you know. <laughs> but so I think it's really cool to, as a point, do that. Yeah. And uh, and and I think it was a much better movie than I thought it was going to be. I did. Um, yeah, I liked the portrayals of pretty much everybody. I do think that Huntress should have been pra- played by Kristen Stewart. Sure. Yeah. Sure. To set us up with a Kristen Stewart, uh, Robert just, Pattinson reunion when they just do that any next time Batman. that Jeff can see a movie with Kristen Stewart, he's very happy about it. Yeah, you keep saying that. I just, I don't even know what she looks like. Yeah, you can't remember her face at all ever. Yeah. I hate to say Twilight, but that's probably the easiest to remember. Did you know that? Have we talked about this on the podcast that no. the Twilight books never describe her? No. So that you can. Make I don't her whatever to, you want. I don't want to use the word imprint yourself on her because that that's got a whole different thing in that in that book series about like babies destined to have sex with the werewolves or something. But uh <laughs> it's yeah, it's so that when you're reading that book you can put yourself in her shoes, uh, whether you're blonde or brunette. That's really interesting. Blows me away. And, and that and, makes me interested in why they hired Kristen Stewart. Does that mean that they just thought she was the most generic looking person? I don't want to be an asshole, but like, well, bud, just you're looking at your day to day life. What when I try to envision what she looks like, it's for me, and this this is when you try to envision Kristen Stewart, not Bella from Twilight. Yeah, I I can't bring her to mind. It's it's like, oh yeah, actress from movies. Yeah, and and I'm a little bit blind to. She's one of my favorites. I don't know, man. We, uh, Jeff, right. could you not talk about right. her so, being your favorite that way? So we dug a hole. We've dug so many holes in the last five minutes. Yeah, but I really get excited for the idea of a two-man podcast with you. Um, I think Roman sleeps through podcasts, but he keeps this whole thing afloat. Yeah. Yeah, it, that is absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> whatever sounds he does. Whatever farm sounds Roman makes. But... Yeah. Roman's back. Oh, I hate it. Um, the movie, I think people should see it. I do think it's you know a very low bar to set, but it is one of the best DC movies that's come out. 
I was good. Act, I, acting's good. I was not bored, and I did not sleep, which I can't even say for some of my favorite movies. It is worth mentioning. Like, I nece- didn't necessarily love the film, but I had a wonderful time seeing it because I sat next to Sam, Colette, Roman, and Django. And every time they said Roman, who is the Black Mask, his name, <laughs> we all, or I, from the very first moment it was mentioned, would lean forward and glare at Roman. <laughs> like, you fucking asshole. Why are you this character? jerk until then like a third of the way through it when he just started owning it like he uh-huh. just started like making weird movements and he was eating this popcorn that i put parmesan cheese and hot sauce on so he made orgasm sounds every time he ate it uh, i'm never sitting next to him again in a movie that has his name or that he's eating popcorn at yeah it it was, was so too there were times in the movie where no one in the theater would laugh and Black Mask would come on and do something, and everyone that worked at the comic shop that was there started laughing because we were all picturing Roman do it, and uh, and it was real bad. Yeah, you think Roman's an uncommon name, and you just like you just run into it more and more and more in life, and it sucks. <laughs> it sucks because you have a Roman Statler, and he sets the bar so high, and no one else can meet it. Um, I felt like I should clean that up because maybe he'll listen to it, and then I remembered he doesn't listen to yeah. anything. I I asked him if he'd left a review for the podcast yet, and he's like, yeah. How do you listen to it not on the website? I'm like, all right. You're um, dead to us. Let's talk to somebody else about getting us another <laughs> review. <laughs> I was like, Roman, yeah, if you're uncomfortable or nervous about doing the podcast, like, what do you like when you listen to a podcast? And I remember he doesn't even know how to listen to a podcast. Yeah. He's never listened to a podcast. But he's cranked out like 130 of them, probably. Yeah, he's he, that guy can <laughs> crank it. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I um, uh, um, Thor number three was really good. Was it? Yeah. Fuck Johnson. Um, Thor number three was really good. Thor number three was really good, and actually, what you could have done was you could have said Thor number three by Donnie Cates, just beyond the Cates Gate. Welcome to the Cates Gate. Just beyond the mind's eye lies the owl who hoots horn sirens of melancholy. Uh, yeah, Thor number three was real good. Cool. Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm real glad you made this soundboard, Jeff. I'm excited to. Uh, we're we're going to build on it. We're going to make it real big, and I'm going to save it so we don't have to work hard to set it up. I'm going to need to get some disinfecting wipes for my phone so I can make fart noises into it for you. <laughs> like with your butt hoe? I want you to hear the whole the whole shebang. Oh, man. Dude, we work together a lot. Um, I, I would say I've heard the whole shebang. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. I've had to sort books through the whole shebang. And on that note, I'm Jeff, and I love the whole shebang. I'm Django, and I'll give you the whole (laughs) shebang. That sucks. (laughs) And I'll give you the whole (laughs) shebang.